It's January 6th, 2016, and Happy New Year, everybody. And welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. We'll kick off the show with a couple of news guests. Cheryl Matsuoka from Wahoo Online Business is here to tell us about an upcoming meetup. Then Kelsey Amos from the Purple Maya Foundation will preview their upcoming student workshops. Finally, after the break, we'll find out about the Age-Friendly Initiative. We have representatives from the city and county of Honolulu, AARP Hawaii, and the Kupuna Education Center at Kapilani Community College to discuss how we can make our cities more age-friendly. We always welcome your comments and questions as part of the conversation as well. So remember, you can call in or send us a tweet after the break. First up, we want to welcome Cheryl Matsuoka from the online Hawaii, I mean, Oahu Oahu. online business. And she's here to tell us about their next meetup. Welcome to the show, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you, Bert and Ryan. The meetup is this Friday, and we meet every second Friday at the university. And this Friday is a special one. We're launching a private label product. This meetup is for people who have online businesses. Um, We have Amazon stores. Mm -hmm. Some people have eBay stores. But we created a private label product in China, and we sell it on Amazon, and Amazon does the picking, the prepping, and the shipping for us. Well, back up a little bit. So the the Oahu Online Business Meetup has been going on for a little while, yes, right? Yes, And it was, how many years has it been around? We actually started in 2011, but Sid Savara, Andy Fawcett, ah, and myself. Sid, yes. Mm-hmm. yes, Sid has um, been the organizers since 2013. And and the uh, maybe give us, the I guess, the primary premise behind the Oahu Online business meetup. Yes, it's a free meetup and we get together with people in the in the industry, the community, and we get together and talk about what's the current information, the latest apps, the latest software, I mean everything to do with anything online. So we have people that come in that are website designers, SEO, analytics people, videographers, everything you can imagine to support anything online. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like in this particular case, for example, you're going to be looking at businesses that sell product exactly. and I I imagine, though, you know, a lot of people imagine that when you're saying, oh, I'm going to sell my stuffed teddy bears on the Internet, that means your closet is going to be filled with stuffed teddy bears and you're going to be printing labels and running to the post office every day. Um, But uh, what this meetup is going to cover is how a lot of the work that you would imagine comes with selling product on the Internet can be handled by other people. Exactly. Amazon. So as like you said, Amazon preps it, packs it, and ships it for us. All we do is send all the products there. And we don't even touch it in Hawaii. A lot of times it comes from a wholesaler, and it goes directly to them, and then they sell it. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there have been other sort of e-commerce platforms, uh, you know, in the heyday. I guess Yahoo had their e-commerce uh, engine. In the case that uh, you're describing, Amazon, you also mentioned earlier about a uh, private label, special Mm -hmm. labeling. I mean, so what's the relationship between the Amazon fulfillment and this sort of special label? So what it is is we actually created our own product, and Mm -hmm. we actually labeled it ourselves, Mm -hmm. and we sent it all to Amazon who warehouses it for us. And as customers order it, they ship it for them. Okay, so the product itself is is your own Mm -hmm. private product. So anybody who has... Let's say a craft shop, and they want to extend their reach. They can use Amazon yes. as a as a distribution yes. channel. Okay. And at our meetup, we talk not only about Amazon, but also about eBay or anybody who has even their own website that we want to support them. And this is an opportunity for people to get together with like interests and talk about how they can actually start a business mm-hmm. online. Mm-hmm. 
Now, how for people who you know spend a lot of time on the internet, certainly you're going to always get pitched with what you would call network marketing opportunities. With why don't you help me sell this uh, dietary supplement that can help you lose weight by wrapping plastic around your stomach? I mean, and you know, it, it's it's more about the referral system and how many contacts you can basically hit and get a percentage of that. Um, is that? I mean, how would you? differentiate what uh, a fulfillment and a product center setup would be versus what a lot of people, I think, would dismiss as sort of an online business in quotes. Right. So for us, it's actually selling an actual product on Amazon. So Amazon has certain restrictions. And so you want to also look at the profitability. You know, Amazon started off selling books. You know, you buy a book at a book sale for, let's say, a quarter, and you can sell it on Amazon for, you know, $20. Mm-hmm. And so take that concept. And it's an opportunity for, like you said, you know, just to sell real products, tangible, that are rated by Amazon. Mm-hmm. They're not going to sell just anything. They're very they're very strict. So I think in addition to having Amazon as a distribution channel, uh, you also, as a result of maybe topics that you might cover at the Oahu Online would help, let's say, put people that attend how to uh, perhaps market, maybe using mm-hmm. social media, how to get the word out on what they might be you know, now selling on Amazon? Exactly. So a lot of people in Hawaii, you have a Hawaiian-made product, but mm-hmm. you don't know that Amazon's an actual you know, opportunity for you to send it to someplace and they can ship it for you. So, I mean, there are local fulfillment companies that can help you with that, but yes. but Amazon is certainly prepared to do it at a larger scale. Exactly. So, do you um, have you seen a pretty good uptake with some of your uh, membership to actually leverage this this platform? Yes, um, you know your opportunity to learn from others who have other talents and mm-hmm, who can mm-hmm. take better photography than you can, create videos, you know, do some things that maybe you may not have that skill set, you could come to our meetup and we can connect you with people who are coming to the meetups and, and um, has the skill set that you need. Yeah, I would see that uh, there's probably a lot of people that are interested in taking advantage of this. I mean, if you have a store that's actually making money while you sleep, I mean, that's a pretty good way of making money. Exactly. And you know how many people are on Amazon every day? Yeah, I think you know because Amazon has so many products. The the real key now then is to get your product recognized yes. and 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 visible amongst all the myriad millions of other products. But I think it's great to note that you would also be discussing what some of the requirements Amazon would have to yes. be able to be shown because you know it's not going to be that nutritional supplement that everyone else is selling mm-hmm. to their mm-hmm. uncles. It's something in particular. Now, Oahu Online Business, in addition to this meetup group, which is networking, and you can meet other people who are doing what you want to do, and you can find out ways to do it better. Um, I know, especially with Sid, that there's also other events that you do. You bring in special speakers and uh, do workshops. Can you talk a little bit about Sure. Uh, We keep the meetup free. And as you know, there is a fee to keep the meetup on the board. So what we do is once or twice a year, we just have a fundraiser and it's just a donation. It's very nominal, but we always bring in speakers or Sid um, Savara or Andy Fawcett. They'll teach different topics. And so we've done things about how to write copy, how to monetize on your website. What are some of the different, um, you know, tricks and trades? Mm -hmm, So. mm That's what we teach. What do you uh, when you're when are you targeting the uh, the upcoming like uh, fundraiser? When does that you usually know, happen? You know, normally hap- it normally happens around April. Uh-huh. You know, that's normally when it happens. We go to the um, in Manoa. Oh, good, good, good. So, anything that you let's say see happening as a focus for 2016? 
Yes, definitely more online businesses, definitely. Uh-huh. We, we hear people always, you know, they may have a brick-and-mortar store, but they don't know how to get online. They don't know who can develop a website for them. And if it's an e-commerce website, it's even more challenging. You need shopping carts and other things. And then how do you, after you have your website, how do you market it? And how do you get people to have more eyeballs on it, right? SEO, analytics, you need to analyze it. And it's a lot of analyzation. It's mm-hmm. not just putting mm-hmm. a store on the internet. Mm-hmm. You need to like pick the successful products, pick the successful marketing plans. And that's what I see happening a lot. Especially like we talked about earlier, you know, a lot of people are retiring and they want a second income. It's an online business and you can work at it at your leisure. It's still selling all the time, 24-7. It doesn't ever close the doors and you don't have to have, you know, a store, a store, a brick and mortar store. Right. So are right, you, right. are you? St- the group though is is pretty broad. There are yes. people who are looking for passive income to yes. supplement their existing income, and there are people who, as you mentioned, are retired and just need to right. be active and, yes. and work on a business that way. But also people who are just in their hard driving the online businesses, what they do one hundred and ten percent of the That's time. That's right. And people who have the talents that maybe I'm not a photographer or I'm not a videographer, and they can actually, you know edit film or they could actually do SEO or mm-hmm. they could actually create um, e-commerce websites with shopping carts and everything else. So those people come to the meetup looking for clients. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So again, when when and where is this uh, meetup taking place? So this Friday, we're meeting at the University of Hawaii. Um, you can go to the meetup page, register as a, a member, it's free, as Oahu Online Business. The subgroup is AFES, A-F-E-S, mm-hmm. Amazon Fulfillment E-Commerce Sellers. Mm-hmm. Ah, so okay. A-F-E-S. And um, that one is this Friday. And then the next meetup for the Oahu Online is the second Wednesday of each month. We meet over at Mocha Java. And it's just come in, buy a cup of coffee, get some free ex- advice, knowledge, network with people who have the similar interests. And that's what this is really created. Right now we have 790 members. Mm. But at any time we have, you know, 30 people, some Sometimes 40 people show up, and they just want to talk to people who are also in the same, you know, interest mm-hmm, as they do. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll, we'll put the link up on our show yeah. notes at bitemarkscafe.org. Thank you very much. Don't go anywhere now. Thanks, Cheryl, for joining us. And, of course, now we have uh, Kelsey Amos, and she's from Purple Maya, and she's here to tell us about an upcoming mobile app code workshop. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Hi, thanks for having me. I know you are uh, kind of almost like a regular over here now. I know. I think I'm. I think it's worse the second time. I know, it's <laughs> why more is it worse? I, I'm not wow. sure why. I hope we well. Yeah. We try not to make our guests <laughs> nervous. Um, Purple My uh, is is a fantastic organization, and I can now speak from personal experience yes. because my son, my youngest, uh, participated in your most recent workshop at the Queen Liliokalani Children's Center in December. Um, but for people who aren't familiar, people who don't remember your other your previous spectacular performance, right here on Bite Mars Cafe. Um, can you bring them up to speed on what the Purple Maya Foundation is? Yeah, so we are a technology education nonprofit um, founded by two Hawaiian men who want to give back to the community, right, in terms of um, creating access to technology education, especially for students in kind of underserved communities or um, opportunity youth, those kinds of situations. Um, so, yeah, the 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 workshop in December at QLCC was kind of in partnership with Queen Liliokalani Center. So some of their beneficiaries were able to attend. Um, and I hear it went really great. I actually missed it. How was mm, it? It was fantastic. Um, we saw some friends there. You know, my, my son, um, I think, is always, his, his mind is always hungry for things. So if you don't put something 
really interesting and, and challenging in front of him, then then you, heaven knows where that mind might go. So I <laughs> we worked with little bits and programming in Minecraft, and certainly Minecraft is a is practically the drug of choice for anyone under the age of nine these these days. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, so, that's what I heard about it. So yeah. this upcoming workshop is really geared around building mobile apps, right? So right. are you gearing it for iOS or Android or both? iOS. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be Xcode. Um, so it's going to be very a little bit different from the last one, right? I mean, they were working on logic gates last time, which is a very interesting concept, but like kind of a very basic computation or computer science concept, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with this one, the focus is going to be on mobile apps and giving them kind of a look at how the user interface interacts with the underlying code. Um, so they're going to build a My Profile app. Um, and our instructor who's doing it, Marion, is really great. Um, and she has kind of this plan to... Um, make it be about the mobile ba- the mobile apps and the you know Xcode and all that kind of stuff, but also wrap in Hawaiian culture. So as part of building their profile, um, they're gonna first of all all the content will be in English and Hawaiian, and then they're also going to be learning about what Ahupua'a and Moku they mm-hmm, live in, mm-hmm. um, which I think is like an interesting thing, right? Because we're we're all used to making profiles online by now, but what does it what does it do to kind of think about making a profile in a different sort of way? So so that's kind of a little bit about what's going to be in store. Yeah, Marian Ano, um, Ano, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. She she did she did she's done a, a previous app with with Hawaiian culture in, integrated in it. Um, I think for fisheries or something. Yeah, I think she was on the local ia. That's right. Or that's local ia, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. worked on that app, um, and her background is actually kind of like in marine um, conservation kind of stuff. I think so. So this is a little bit. Different for her, but she's super excited to to be bringing knowledge about mobile apps to to students. You know what I'm impressed about is the fact that you are targeting this to 11 to 14 year olds. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's the age group we're looking at. <clears throat> you know, I would love to learn about Xcode, and it's just impressive <laughs> that you can get you know kids that early to get started on on something like that. Now, Xcode is one programming uh, language isn't swift also something that you know would be needed for ios yeah swift would be very valuable um i mean it's kind of a matter at this point of teaching um where our where our instructors are comfortable um our pre or concurrent instructor also bill has kind of been more focused on javascript Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and things like that and so we're actually kind of just starting this kind of mobile apps phase. Mm-hmm. Um, so concurrent with the workshop being about mobile apps and a few more workshops actually in March at also at Kamehameha Schools Middle School are going to be around mobile apps. Um, we're also in our after school classes, which we're at three three middle schools, right? Three public middle schools, Jarrett Middle School, Stevenson and Kamaili Academy. Mm-hmm. So a- actually this quarter they're going, they had been doing Minecraft and like similar stuff actually to the Logic Gates workshop. Um, we're going to be introducing mobile apps to them. So in a way it's all kind of an experiment, but that's kind of what we do, right? This is all sort of an sure. experiment yeah, for us, yeah, yeah. right? So figuring out like what will they be able to handle and, mm-hmm. and what do they, what else do they need to know? I think they'll be able to handle it though. Like it's pretty amazing. Um, we, we've done a workshop where we had adult teachers come in and we were trying to teach the teachers right because i mean that's another focus right another way to have impact is Mm -hmm. to educate the educators um and i mean they did well but it's hard you know like it's they were they were doing this xcode stuff and it was like what you know and and we were all kind of like freaking out i mean not freaking out but you know there were adults in there who were like wow this is hard right Mm -hmm. but you get the kids in there and i mean they they are not as concerned, you know, like they, they don't get as scared about it. They're more they're I think their brains are like kind of ready to like just kind of attach to that. Um, and what I've been hearing from our instructors is actually that in the last quarter, 
um, some of the students, not all of them, but maybe like half to less than half, like are actually more engaged with the coding at this point than with the Minecraft. Like we kind of let them play in Minecraft yes. as like a reward sometimes and mm -hmm. to like just keep them engaged. Right. But there's a certain percentage of them that are like, I want to finish working on this coding problem. Um, and that's great. Like we're kind of amazed by it, but like really proud and happy about that too. That's great. So this workshop, uh, it's a uh, kind of a weekend workshop. So how mm -hmm. far along the program development would you expect to be, be at the end of the weekend? At the end of the weekend, um, you'll have built a small app. So, oh. so that's good, right? You'll have your my profile app. It's going to be basic. Mm -hmm. um, in March, we're hoping that the two workshops in March will be kind of um, will will build on each other. So you'll have kind of built a more advanced app. At the end of that, we've been throwing around ideas about um, building a calculator of some kind. Um, now, so yeah. At, at, yeah. Um, would any of these apps, I guess, just be for uh, let's say uh, educational purpose, and would they would they at some point in time ultimately become publishable on the app store or whatever? I mean, or is this just a, a stepping stone toward that perhaps uh, objective? I mean, I, I say I think it's more of a stepping stone, mm -hmm. but it could be right. That's sort of the the tack we're taking right now. One of our other recent workshops was kind of a private workshop for Farrington High School students. Um, and the teacher there is this STEM teacher who kind of just wanted us to come in. She's like, I don't know anything about this, but I think my students should know. So just come tell them about it and then I'm going to let them run with it, mm -hmm. right? Like they're mm -hmm. going to try to take what they've learned and, and build projects or do what they're going to do. So I guess that's kind of the where we're, where we're at, right? Like we're going to give people knowledge and then hope that they run with it themselves, whether that means like continuing to work on it at home or sharing it with other people or, or whatever. Um, yeah, so stepping stone, but like if you're motivated, like you can get in there, get some knowledge, and then find out more. Yeah, right. my son's Great. been trying to teach himself iOS, and his objective is to get something published in the App Store. But is that right? We know that that's that's several, you know, layers. Yeah, after it he's, can take a while. Yeah, he can build the example <laughs> Instagram mm -hmm. app and build the example uh, Minecraft app, but at some point, that's what he wants to do. So I think that um, feeding that curiosity and that creativity early on, and you say these are the tools that you can use. There's there's unlimited potential there. So if somebody was interested in this upcoming workshop, although I know seats are limited, um, but as well as the workshops you're talking about in March, I mean, these seem like excellent opportunities for students in those age groups. Where can someone go to find more information and be kept up to date on when these opportunities come up. Right. So I would check out our Facebook. You can just search for Purple Maya, M-A-I-A, because um, that's where we post like the event, right? You can also go to www.purplemaya.org, um, and you can sign up for our newsletter, which is that's where we like send out kind of the first information about any upcoming workshops. So that's sounds, a thing to do. Sounds great. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing things about this thing called the Aloha Aina Hackathon. So I'm going to probably have you guys come back and talk about that maybe yeah. you know, in a month or so. Yeah, we should do that. We got to get the rest of the staff in here. Yeah, yes, right. I want to meet some of these uh, <laughs> yeah. Hawaiian men that you've uh, described. I, know. I think we might know who they are. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thanks again. And of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Barbara Kim Stanton, Colin Hayashida, and Gary Nakata to talk about the Age Friendly Cities Initiative. What sparked the interest in this initiative and what can we look forward to in the years ahead in our cities? Of course, we'd love your thoughts or questions as a part of that conversation. You can give us a call at 9 Four one three six eight nine, or reach us toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio monitoring Twitter. You can tweet us at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
What do these three men have in common? Mark Dunkerley of Hawaiian Airlines, David Carey of Outrigger, the developer Stanford Carr. All three live here and run locally headquartered enterprises. So I gathered them together before HPR mics to talk about what might happen in this new year just begun. It first ran on New Year's Day, but you can hear it in the afternoon of Thursday, 5 p.m. Thursday on HPR2. On the next On Being. You're seeing yourself and your own pain, your own dilemmas orchestrated in this marvelous way. And the Souls of Black Folk continues to this day to be able to move me as few other works can move me. How W.E.B. Du Bois speaks to the American soul of his day and ours. I'm Krista Tippett. Please join us. Sunday morning at 10, following Weekend Edition. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And of course, uh, joining us today, we have Barbara Kim Stanton, Colin Hayashida, and Gary Nakata. Barbara is the uh, state director for the American Association of Retired Persons, or AARP, in Hawaii. Colin, meanwhile, is the director and founder of the Kupuna Educational Center at Kapiolani Community College. And Gary is the director of the Department of Community Services for the city and county of Honolulu. And, of course, how can Honolulu become age-friendly? Uh, we'd love to hear your questions and comments. And that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or... 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And we want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you. <laughs> hey, thanks, Barbara. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Now, we will start with you, Barbara, since, uh, you know, there was, uh, I think a couple of years ago, I heard of uh, the Age-Friendly Initiative, and it was kind of coming from the World Health Organization as well as AARP. And, Barb, I want you to give us a sense of, you know, where did this all get started from? Well, you know, the World Health Organization, who uh, has been very interested in age-friendly cities, livable communities for several years, and AARP in for North America is the representative of age-friendly cities. Mm-hmm. And so it's a collaboration with WHO. And when we looked at Honolulu, well, we looked at the state, and we looked at the four counties, and what we could see is that livable communities and age-friendly cities was a natural evolution to improving our community so that it's a great place to, um, for people of all ages to grow up in and to live. And when we looked at, uh, from ARP's perspective, what we could see was we had the worst pedestrian fatality rate mm, mm. for seniors, age 65 and over, number one. Worst in the country for age 75 and over, number one in the country. And then when you look at all ages, we're number 15. So no matter how you look at it, it's a terrible place as far as pedestrian safety. But transportation and pedestrian safety is not the only thing that makes a community livable. It has to do with housing. Um, it has to do with how you connect socially. And so I would say that what WHO does is it lays out eight categories or eight domains, and it comes out to two categories. One is physical infrastructure. Mm. That would be 
things like public places, transportation and housing. And the other one is the social infrastructure, infrastructure, communications, um, workforce development, access to community services, and healthcare. And that's where bite marks comes in because you right? cannot have be connected these days without being connected digitally. I, I don't know if that's a that's a, a lead in for me to say anything, but I do want to I do want to just uh, you know for full disclosure say that I was on the. Citizen Advisory Committee during, I think, the year 2014. So I do have some firsthand experience with that process. Oh, uh, yes. I was, can... I was, I was going to mention you anyway because <laughs> we, really, we really needed your help, and it was a great community effort. Well, I definitely want to talk more about being digital and using technology to help a city be more age-friendly and more livable. Uh, Cullen, meanwhile, I'm sorry, you were the former director and but a founder of the Kapuna Education Center at Kapuna right. Community College. Um, we talked about the World Health Organization and these this global and then national vision for these things. But when it comes down to it, it has to happen at a local level. And I was wondering if you could speak to um, really how a big picture idea like that can start to become implementable or even uh, tackleable at a at say a, at a Honolulu level. Sure. Well, one of the things that uh, I wanted to share was um, in addition to being the former director at uh, the. Kapiolani Community College's Kupuna Education Center. I am now uh, employed by uh, St. Francis Healthcare Systems of Hawaii um, uh, to uh, assist with the development of what they are uh, referring to as the Liliha Kupuna Village. Hmm. So the entire Liliha uh, St. Francis Hospital facility is no longer a hospital, Mm -hmm. general hospital anymore. So they've got this huge structure and they want to repurpose it uh, for elder care, uh, so part of the uh, the vision now is to try to create uh, some of the uh, ty- different types of services that we can provide uh, for the community at the center, and that's why uh, I was asked to come on board. Oh, great, great! So um, just to you know, close out that thought. I mean, so St. Francis is it evolving into more like a assisted living kind of an arrangement or assisted living would be part of the uh, array of services uh, there would be uh, 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 some nursing home services uh, provided there skilled nursing services mm-hmm. adult daycare services we're looking at bringing in some training uh, f- uh, some of the things perhaps that we were doing over at the college they're looking at uh, even having a bistro there a uh, place like make that place into a gathering place and this is part of the reason why then uh, one of the thoughts that um, has uh, uh, has sort of um, emerge out of this entire process was to look at this village model uh, uh, and you know take take the uh, Liliha Aliva Heights that and uh, you know Nuano village uh, or community and see that as uh, an area that has a high percentage of older adults and perhaps there are ways in which we can create a um, a uh, people helping people type of an approach uh, within that kind of community. Um, you know, let me step back a little bit and share a little bit with regards to what seems to be happening here. Uh, you know, we've we've had so many um, positive initiatives on a, on as far as elder care um, with with uh, with medications and you know those sorts of things. But we're we're also realizing that elder care itself cannot be entirely solved 
by medicine alone. Mm-hmm. That so much of this um, has to do with uh, social care in, in terms of infrastructure. This is why the uh, age-friendly community is so important, and this is uh, an international phenomenon in many respects. We're beginning to realize that we've got to build infrastructure to help the the community, help people, help each other. Um, so the village model represents one uh, one uh, opportunity to create that. Um, uh, there's another effort that I was involved with earlier called. N-O-R-C, Naturally Occurring Retirement Communities. These are communities uh, like Palolo, for example, or uh, Manoa, or or, uh, Nuano, where you've got uh, many, many people that have lived there for many years. The young kids have moved away, and the community have naturally become older adults only. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's no infrastructure in terms Mm -hmm. of supporting them there. So how do we create, look at these naturally occurring retirement communities and start bringing in uh, the social support systems. You know, uh, there's, a, there's actually, uh, on the final report that came out for the Age-Friendly Initiative, there are, there's a map of Oahu, and it's color-coded, and there are areas of the map that are that basically are depicted by how, let's say, old that community is. And it's, it's, I guess, the ones that are in red. <laughs> and I think the one that's in red is Pearl City. <laughs> I think Pearl City <laughs> is one of those communities that show a lot of uh, senior citizens. It's, in, it's kind of interesting in what, yeah. in what you point out. Yeah, it's, an age, it's, it's an age heat map. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, part of the thing about the age-friendly cities is uh, I just need to put a shout-out because we this age-friendly committee – uh, had a lot of support for data from the state and the county and the and the uh, nonprofits, mm-hmm. and it because we really had to see. We hear the anecdotes, but we had to see where it was happening, and that's why we um, got help from DBED. We got help from um, the city GIS projects. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal, and Great. and uh, the health, you know that the Healthy Walking Initiative. But certainly data is important. Visualizations are important where you yeah. can see the map of Oahu, see the neighbors where you leave, live, and see how it evolves over time. Now, uh, Gary, you know, Cullen mentioned that healthcare can't be the only way to approach it. Uh, certainly when we're talking about infrastructure, that's where government plays a key role in a city and making sure that it's livable for all residents, particularly in the case of this conversation, um, the, the, the Age-Friendly Initiative. But the department you work in covers such a wide uh, array of city services. Um, can you help us understand what are some of the things that uh, the city is doing to move forward with some of these init- these ideas in the age-friendly initiative? Well, our department um, has a myriad of services that we provide that runs the gamut uh, from dealing with the elderly uh, services to homelessness, low-moderate income, workforce development, um, a lot of good things happening every day to help a lot of people that are in need. Uh, I guess what we're doing right now is we're taking the good work done by a lot of really great people, including Bert on the CAC, and um, just putting it into the implementation phase. Um, we come upon this really great plan. Uh, it's very simple. It's called the Age-Friendly Action Plan. It's about age-friendly. It's a plan of action. Um, and now it's time to take action. Um, we've put together a uh, committee to ensure the implementation takes place. Um, anybody that's familiar with the plan 
um, understands that there's an appendix of goals and objectives. And we really don't want to be an agency or an organization that puts together a plan, it's nicely colored, it prints out really well, and we put it on a shelf. We actually want to make this a living document. And I think the exciting part is that if you look through the appendices, you look at all the um, improvements that we want to see over the course of the next year, few years, if you can visualize what Honolulu is going to look like once all these things are implemented, it can really get your blood going. Um, Gary, you know, could, could you tell us a little bit about what went uh, into the citizen advisory committees and, and you know, I kind of know, you know, since I was involved with it, but I mean, I want to hear it from you, what the citizens were tasked to do that contributed to this final report. Okay, well, as you know, Barbara, um, I'll just jump in, and Barbara can correct me if, if, if I say uh, anything you wrong. Got it. You <laughs> got it. <laughs> I think the one thing that they did was, um, you know, to start at a very high level, is they cared and they worked hard. Uh, as Barbara mentioned, there is public infrastructure and social infrastructure. So, you know, we divided it up into six what we call domains. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there was to do with outdoor spaces, transportation, and housing. That's your bricks and mortar infrastructure. And then you got community support, health services, employment, uh, communication, and social involvement. That's your social infrastructure. And people that had any kind of expertise or and or interest in those domains were brought together at workshops and work groups um, and culminating in a summit back almost one year ago today um, where we had all the groups come together and put together the final pieces that would go into this action plan. Uh, but there was a lot of thinking. Um, yeah, Barbara, you got anything else to add there? Uh, I, I was just going to say, does you know, what's exciting about the age-friendly process is that it's community-driven. It's really an organic grassroots type of thing that also has a logical structure because you know what Gary is saying is so true. How many of us have been on task force or have seen efforts where you come up with a plan and nothing happens? But what is really unique about and wonderful about the age-friendly city project here is that the WHO AARP Global Network requires that you do it in three years. You have a, It's a five-year period. If you say you're going to be part of this, you have two years to develop the plan, and you have to do it with the community. It has to be something that works for all ages. And after the two-year plan is approved by WHO and ARP, then it kicks off the implementation stage. So right now, we are... Uh, we've had it approved, and now we have three years to cross that finish line in August of 2018. And that's where, you know, you really start the, the run, that race to make sure the projects that the community is talking about gets done. So um, it is not meant to languish. It's a very structured type of thing. You have milestones, and you have to have progress or you just drop out of the designation. And I have to tell you, uh, kudos to uh, Mayor Caldwell's administration. They have taken this seriously. I think this was the first major initiative that Mayor Caldwell picked up once he was uh, elected into office. And um, he, it was, you know, his cabinet was off and running. And um, it had, you cannot do this without the full support of the mayor. Age-friendly cities uh, is in 70 communities in across 27 states, and we are the only the eighth state or the eighth community out of 70 to be approved. And when our plan went in, 
there wasn't a single revision. It was done so well. And mm. we, and the. Well, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of credit fantastic. goes out to the, the University of Hawaii Center for Center, Center on, on Aging. Aging. I mean, yeah. they did a great They're job facilitating. And, yeah. And so, yeah. you know, um, Colin, I, I want to give you a chance to maybe share some examples of what other. You know, I guess we're number seven, but I mean, have other cities implemented an age-friendly initiative? And what examples of uh, have come out of those cities that we could perhaps look at? Well, there um, places right now like um, Portland uh, and apparently also New York City has also been given that de- designation. I'm not quite certain exactly what New York City has done um, in. Portland has just a, a whole variety of different kinds of initiatives that are going on there. But internationally, what, what seems to be quite uh, interesting also is that uh, this is also taking off uh, in other parts of the world as well. Uh, in, in March, uh, for example, I'll be heading off to uh, Japan over to Fukuoka City, um, a city that um, has been working very hard at trying to um, set up uh, this age-friendly city plan as well as some implement implementation efforts and most of their efforts have uh, focused around some technology areas uh, uh, Japan right now is uh, running very short on labor uh, the, the number of children mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, has has shrunk significantly and as people grow uh, have grown older there's a great need for more workers uh, and they're they're looking at technology as one of the solutions and and, and making the city um, um, as as age friendly from a technology standpoint is not something that I'm quite quite familiar with, but this is something that they're they're looking at. Um, there's, uh, let's see, as far as other things that uh, the city is doing, I'm not quite certain what uh, what else uh, Fukuoka has been working on, but they, they, they also have a, a very strong support from, from the, the mayor's, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, Mayor Takashima of the, of the city of Fukuoka as well. But Gary, you know, you have the plan, and as, as Barbara, Barbara mentioned, though, it's not going to languish. It needs to be implemented, and that puts a lot of pressure, I think, on you and the city, for example, to make these um, suggestions a reality. Um, she talked about, for example, pedestrian safety. And what I'm really curious about are very specific examples so that we can say broadly, yes, we want our city to be age-friendly, but on the ground, you know, walking down the street, what are some specific things that either working from other cities' examples or from the plan that we've got in place, um, what uh, is the city looking forward to doing to help, for example, address the pedestrian safety issue for an age-friendly city? Well, I'm looking at the plan right now, <laughs> looking through the appendix. I thought we were going to talk about tech matters, so I sure. post it's all over the tech stuff. Well, that that works too. And I mean, so, well, um, I'll, uh, a question that came on Twitter: um, one person would say that, say, the prev- the growing prevalence of self driving cars would be an example of technology that makes the city safer because certainly even my own family, we have struggles with people who might want to drive longer than they can safely drive. So they were excited about the prospect of self-driving cars because whether it's a young person or an, or, or, or anybody, um, maybe a machine might be able to drive more safely. Uh, what's an example of a technology solution that you're you're looking forward to implement at the city side? Well, obviously, when you talk about technology, there's a number of... Uh words that are used like buzzwords. Mm-hmm. So the word Wi-Fi comes up a lot. You think in this day and age that you know, we should be moving more towards island-wide Wi-Fi. That's one of the initiatives I think that's going to be thought through. 
Um, Technology-wise, you know, um, Bert and I had originally been talking a few minutes ago about the the the, the data access ordinance, um, and Bert's passed on some very interesting facts to me that I'm probably going to go back and inquire about. Uh, what we're doing, where we really are in the process, however, is that we had a um, passing of the torch, per se, between the steering committee and the implementation committee. And the implementation committee had its first meeting back in November. Mm-hmm. And so these are people that um, pretty much have um, expressed an interest to continue doing work um, in their various domains. And right now, what they're doing is going out and identifying people in the public and private sectors to take on the leads with respect to each of these bullet points that's in the appendices. So, for example, you're mentioning pedestrian safety. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to speak into the mic. You're mentioning pedestrian safety earlier. Hope your editor's not giving me stink eye. No, he's right smiling. Now. Okay. <laughs> so, um, we mentioned pedestrian safety earlier. And so, one of the things that first come up when you look, and um, increase pedestrian safety is, as a project, um, implement safety improvements in high crash areas. If you look and you're familiar with the appendices, you'll see that the lead organization column is either filled with um, certain city agencies or the word public-private. In this case, the the lead organization for this is DTS. So mm-hmm. in this case, what we do is we sit down with a very you know person you probably already know, Mike Formby, who's the director of the Department of Transportation Services, and we'll be asking them, you know, do you have buy-in on this project, and what's your three-year plan? to get this done. And there are a number of goals and objectives like this throughout the appendices, a ton of them. And so what the committee is going to be doing, first of all, is if the lead organization isn't identified, in particular because what was identified is that it had to be a public-private partnership, the public entity will be identified and the private agency or organization will be identified and leaders for that movement will be identified and then we'll be sitting down with them and getting buy-in. All in pretty rapid order because what we want to do is be able to say we've accomplished a number of these things by the end of this year. Mm-hmm. You know, Ryan, well, Ryan, did I answer your question? Absolutely. I, I'm, sure. no, no, I'm and, and, so. and I think we can get into a little bit more detail because sure. we're, we're very interested in sort of the, the implementation process. But let's hold that thought. We'll be right back after this uh, short break to continue our conversation with Barbara Kim Stanton, Colin Hayashida, and Gary Nakata about... Honolulu becoming an age-friendly city. And, of course, as Gary mentioned, there is a place for public-private partnerships and the community. How can they get involved with these initiatives? We'd love to hear from you as well. You can call 941-3689 or reach us from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Dr. Judith Orloff, author of The Ecstasy of Surrender. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about the surprising ways that surrender can empower your life. Sunday morning at 11. For top high school band programs, relentless practice is a constant. So these guys march nonstop, 16, 17 weeks straight. Nonstop. They're marching machines. I'm Adrian Hill. A look into what it takes to march in the Rose Parade. Next time on Marketplace from 8 p.m. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe.
Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Barbara Kim Stanton, Colin Hayashida, and Gary Nakata about making Honolulu an age-friendly city. And, of course, that number you can call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And, of course, right before the break, we were talking about a number of things. And uh, what we want to explore is examples of how... These age-friendly initiatives are taking place in other cities. And, Barbara, you had some examples in mind, and maybe you can share those. Yeah. You know, in the uh, other 70 communities where it's happening nationwide, um, there's a few that people might have heard of. And one is the High Line in New York City. Mm, yes. That's an age-friendly city project. And the and for those who are not familiar with the High Line, it's where uh, New York took a 1.45-mile area and uh, uh, an elevated track, and they turned it into an area to walk and to see the see the water and to have vendors and mm-hmm, to have mm-hmm. art exhibits. And it's and I've walked it like three or four times. It, it's just great. But on the economic side, it created for uh, it created eight thousand construction jobs and about twelve thousand jobs in the area. It revitalized the area, and so sometimes what you see is up. Um, something that people consider an uh, eyesore, and you're able to transform it. So that's one example. Another example, because it, this is supposed to be intergenerational, is that you know how we have parks uh, where you have people who can garden in them? Mm-hmm. But when you go to um, aging facilities, you'll find that their gardens are elevated So because as you get older, it's harder to get to the ground level. Mm, or get back up. From yeah, and, or get up. <laughs> but, I've been noticing that. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the projects in Georgia was that they created elevated public gardens uh-huh. at, and that enabled people to garden. And so I, I love that one because I just think that so, works so Barbara, really you, well. You bring up some great examples. Now, in the process of going through the uh, you know the advisory committees specific examples like these didn't come up so how would those types of examples actually get incorporated into an actual implementation well there's still a chance because when you look at the goals some of them are broad enough that you can you can um, suggest mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. things because if you're saying well what we're going to have is uh, we're going to have public places that are more uh, intergenerational. That would include developing things like what we call grand grandparents park, where you watch the kids and the and the grandparents can also exercise. But here's one for the digital connect. Boston did this, where they they developed an app so that anybody can report a pothole, an accident, or you know the need for some kind of um, city service. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that came under a broader category. So you can do all of this. It's You're not shut out. The plan is dynamic. Well, so, you know, I guess I got to put my open data hat on and, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and say something about that. But, you know, you brought up as an example earlier about pedestrian safety. And Hawaii is not a great place for, um, I guess, you know, in terms of how many accidents pedestrians get in. Uh Data could help identify that very clearly and actually identify what intersections might be more dangerous than others. What would be key would be whether or not that data is made open and accessible and people can actually create heat maps and visualizations and analysis on that data. What would it take to actually have 
that data become open and accessible? Actually, it's already available. Because if you go to the link, you'll find that um, it's the, an area will be designated as a cra- where the crashes have happened. Mm-hmm. And you can go on the map and you'll have the date and the particular area. And when you see a clustering where you have a lot of accidents, a lot of pedestrian crashes at the same spot, you know that that's got to be one of the priority areas where we want it fixed. How would you then take that recognition and in, and influence the city in actually creating, let's say, more lighting or more uh, just a, a safer crosswalk? I mean, what would the steps be to make that actually happen? Well, I have a. I'm going to defer to um, Gary. So, are you, you know, like, are you going to be personally knocking on Gary's door? Or <laughs> oh what's no, the no, no. I, I think the thing is, the consumers get heard, and there's a process for them to be heard, and the city has the data. And so they're, they're going to be saying, okay, here's what we're looking at as the top priority crash sites. But at so the process Gary, yeah. itself, I think Gary would be the one to answer. You know, Bert, you bring up a lot of good um, information today and a lot of good guidance. Um, with respect to implementing, well, but let me take a step back. Sure. We have this plan. It's not carved in stone. It's not. We're not going to say this is the plan we're going to stick to. And anybody else that has a great idea to make our city a better place to live, well, maybe 30 years from now we do another plan and you have your chance then. Like Barbara said, it's an evolving plan. It's a dynamic plan. It's a living document. Um, you know, if you get involved with the process, then if you got a really good idea, then say so. What we envision on the implementation committee is once we get our domain groups moving again, um, we were going to get the CAC involved. So I'm sorry, Bert, you're going to get a call one of these days. Um, <laughs> okay. And I and by all means, you can, you know, proclaim to your listeners right now, Bert Lum is ready to help implement the age-friendly I'll, plan. I'll do what I can. Okay, yes. we, we got some uh, uh, commitment here, Barbara, which is really great. But th- getting back to the question, you know, once we get our domain groups working, putting into the implementation plan, identifying the lead organizations, and at that point, it's like looking at each goal and saying, mm-hmm. well, how are we going to make this into reality? And the goals are general and gray enough so that specific goals and sub-goals and sub-objectives can, can be put on the docket for um, implementation and achievement. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's going to be a public process. You know, we're going to want public input. But right now, we're at the beginning stages of organizing the implementation committee and how the different domain groups are going to move forward. Give us some time. We'll reach out to public No, soon. definitely. And, and I Except know, for you, Bert, because you volunteered today. I know your phone number, <laughs> too. So. Okay, very good. But uh, I do want to talk a little bit about ARP sort of uh, process of evaluation. But before we do that, I want to go to our callers because uh, I want to welcome Anne from the Windward side to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank Hi. you so much. Sure. Um, I listen religiously, so I'm so glad you're there. And this thank is you. a this is really close to my heart. I'm almost 65. I have been a caregiver of elders for the last 15 years. And I'm super conscious of the elders that walk in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they turn and they just walk because their expectation is people will stop for them. Right. (laughs) You know, people 80 years old going, I've lived here all my life. I know that if I step into the street, everybody's going to stop. It doesn't work that way anymore. And the, uh, just a night or two ago, I was at a big intersection, and I wasn't on the windward side. I was in town, and 
I couldn't see the person who was standing getting ready to go across the crosswalk, and there wasn't a traffic light. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he's invisible. There's no light shining down on him. And what if he were standing there and the crosswalk that he's going to go on sensed his weight and then light, boop, 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 went across <laughs> the street, and then I wouldn't turn. I love those okay. sound effects. No, I, I think right. that's a, No, yeah, no, they're, that's they're, one they're, thing. But the other thing is, I think those of us who are over 60, we need to be tested in a driving test every two years. Because if I can't pass a driving test, I shouldn't be on the road. Well, that's a great input, and I, I'm not sure you might get some, you might get some pushback from the uh, 65 and older. <laughs> no, so we I know, what you're but I've, I've dealt with the elders of trying to help them do that transition from mm-hmm. not driving, mm-hmm. and it's very hard for the families. And if we were just tested more often, our kids wouldn't have to deal with it. Right. So I'll hang up. I'll listen. Thank you so much for taking on this topic, and I'm really glad you're there. Well, Aloha. Yes, thank, thank you, you very thank much you, for listening. Man. Now, Colin, you know, working with the village concept, that would be one way to approach um, a community approach to making someplace more age-friendly, correct? Yes, it is. But before I get into that, I, I should mention, you know, that AARP does have that car fit program um, that um, uh, encourages uh, older adults to uh, be tested and to uh, get a little bit more skills with regards to how to uh, prevent getting into an accident. So mm-hmm. that's an, uh, a wonderful program. And uh, I think if you were to call AARP, they could tell you when the next uh, offering is being held um, in, in Hawaii. With regards to the village concept, I, I, you know, um, much of what we're talking about is uh, is at the thirty thousand feet level in many respects. You know, broad things that we need to do to make the community uh, age friendly. Uh, people live in communities, and I think that what we uh, need to try to also work on is how do we how do we move from just looking at aging in place to aging in community that is to say how do we how do we try to reconstruct communities as much as possible and what's really quite interesting is that uh, nationally there's uh, something called the village movement uh, and so there's a village to village network of about 200 uh, nonprofits nationwide that have uh, join into this process into in terms of trying to build uh, uh, a community of services to help people in their communities uh, age at home and it's based in part on uh, a kind of a membership idea mm-hmm. that is you know well you know when you compare the cost of being in a nursing home or in an assisted living facility which is um, uh, quite expensive uh, people do want to live at home, but it's oftentimes unsafe. And so with a minimal or moderate uh, annual membership-type uh, arrangement uh, using paid staff as well as uh, a lot of volunteers, it's possible to provide a whole variety of services, you know, um, assistance with eating and bathing and dressing and grooming and feeding and toileting mm-hmm. and things of that sort uh, so that people can age in place. So that's another movement that is occurring, and this is one of the things that we're trying to look at over at St. Francis. You know, uh, this is great stuff, and I know we could probably talk for another hour, but uh, uh, Gary, I want to have you give us a sense of, uh, you know, given the fact that the final report only recently came out, so 
you know, the, you can't expect a whole lot of implementation taking place right now. But in your mind, what do you see as being some of the sort of quick hits, milestones, things that you might be trying to do in 2016? Okay, well, I, I really don't want to come on radio and, you know, um, obligate my colleagues and <laughs> obligate them because they all have my personal cell phone number. So, you know, let me just look at the plan. And there's an area that my department is um, has been tasked to be the lead organization. And what I did when I first got the plan was I did run it by my division heads. And, well, they'll be calling me after the show today. Mm-hmm. But I said, look at the goals and look at the objectives. Uh, are they fair? Are they doable? Is it something what we want to do for the people? Is it the right thing to do? And you know, to to a large extent, to 100% extent, they all came back and said, no, we can do the job. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, one of under technology, mm-hmm. uh, one of the goals and objectives is to increase technology training programs for unemployed individuals, whatever the age bracket they are, or those transitioning to new careers. And, you know, uh, one of the myriad of things that we do uh, at the Department of Community Services is workforce development. So if you look on page A19, it's right there. DCS is in charge of building on our Oahu Worklings program to create more um, work transitioning programs involving technology and one of the three-year benchmarks is to come up with a plan for expanding our programs. Now, you kind of think, well, three years, that's a, you got a long time just to come up with a plan. Well, um, if you've ever tried to expand a social services program to that large extent, a lot of it starts with assessing the community need, then figuring out where you're going to get the funding from, and then um, where you're going to expand and, and what resources we're going to need to use. So let me just t- t- you know commit my department and my division so, Barbara, if somebody wanted to get involved or be more up-to-date on how this initiative is progressing, um, where can they go or who can they contact for more information? Okay, I'm not shy at all about giving Gary Nakata's number because he <laughs> said it was okay before the show. Call him at 768-7760, 768-7760 to get Gary Nakata or his representative on what is happening and you can also go online to Keiki to Kupuna. I, I well, mean, well, Kupuna to Keiki Kupuna dot to com. It, it's always seniors first gotcha. uh, culturally. Kupuna to Keiki dot com, and there will be updates. Okay, we'll Fantastic. definitely put that up on our show notes. And, you know, Barbara, we'll probably call all of you guys back and an get update. an update Absolutely. on the Age Friendly Initiative because we definitely want to keep track of this. Barbara Kim Stanton is the director of AARP Hawaii. Colin Hayashida works with St. Francis Healthcare on the Liliha Kupuna Village. And, of course, uh, Gary Nakata is the director for the Department of Community Services. And we want to thank you all for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks much. Aloha. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about building large ocean platforms. And if you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can always find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chung, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And wishing you a happy and prosperous new year. We'll leave you with a song pick of the week. Here's a, uh, Drop Hunter and a song called Shining Star. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.